he's not hearing our protest. He's got his fingers in his ears. He, the Episcopal Church writ large is saying that we in the ACNA are homophobic Christians. We in the ACNA are saying that the Episcopal Church writ large is not Christian at all. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here once again with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How are you gentlemen today? Wonderful. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. Either of you seen The Notorious Sound of Freedom? Any comments on the film or its backlash? I haven't seen it. I've read reviews. I haven't either. I yeah. did go to see it, and I was frankly shocked at how middle of the road it was. I, I thought it was going to be explicitly Christian and evangelical. I thought they were going to depict like Barack Obama harvesting adrenochrome from a child. This was nothing even remotely <laughs> like it was totally like it might as well have been a Liam Neeson movie. They mentioned they say the word God twice, but other than that, it's just just a straight ahead, totally normal like an action movie or a thriller at least that I guess has to do with child trafficking, which I thought we could all agree was a bad thing. It's so interesting watching, like watching quote unquote progressive Christians on Twitter bash the movie. And then like try and then in the process of bashing the movie also as part of the, that bashing uh, making light of child sex trafficking oh it's not that big of a deal it's really not that big of a problem and who's <laughs> dr laura robinson i think said this is something well you're you know your child's not really in danger of of this sort of thing and this is all big a bunch of hype and you want why are they why are they doing that and it's 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 an, because just i can remember like five or six years ago everyone i mean conservatives liberals everybody recognized child traffic child sex slave trafficking trafficking what is one of the greatest evils in the world and then the number of slaves we have in the world now uh, is greater than what there was during the antebellum era in in north america and the atlantic slave trade so i mean I, it's just it's just strange that anybody would have an object i can see people not liking the movie because of just it, it was gonna be badly done i don't know i haven't seen it and jim cabezzi's in it it's why. not so. it's not great i would give it a b it could be okay. better but you know Everyone's saying that for a faith-based movie, it's really good. And I suppose that would be true if I thought it were particularly faith-based. I mean, it is true that Jim Caviezel's in it. He did play Jesus. He is a serious Christian man and does believe some weird things. But I love Tom Cruise, too. And Tom Cruise is a lunatic. Like Tom Cruise <laughs> believes way crazier things than Jim Caviezel yeah, does. Well, yeah, I just don't understand. I mean, you know, it's, it's undeniable that child sex trafficking is a thing i mean there's people in the you know every every branch of uh, government in civilized countries that is working against it i mean i've known i've known people um i actually knew someone who was working for the uh, justice department right out of college when i was in dc um and she would go pose as these you know uh, young underage people to try to lure uh these mm. you know these these predators and, you know, I started talking to her about it and I'll never forget. She just said, I can't, I can't, and I won't tell you anything more about it because it would, it would scar you. Like, you just don't even want to know what this world actually is sort of in the underbelly. And to have a movie that exposes something like that brings it to the mainstream and actually enlightens people. Um, as you said, Nick, I haven't seen it, but in, in a, as going on your uh, assessment in a fairly even handed way, 
Um, you know, it's even hard to say what does even handed even mean when you're talking about child sex trafficking. Like, can it just be why don't we why don't we have a really, you know, um overhanded one, you know? Well, there's no hands like a, at all. There are bad guys who steal right. children and sell them into sexual slavery, and then there's a hero who rescues them. This right. was I mean, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger, this is Sylvester Stallone, this is Liam Neeson, this is a totally standard movie Washington, that would, man on nobody fire. would have raised an eyebrow as recently as three years ago. I, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> having, but said, I am wearing a tinfoil Having hat. said that, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> having said that, I, I do think, and I don't think this is a plot, like some overarching kind of plot, overarching kind of people are getting together and planning this out. But I think the way our culture is moving is kind of dictating this because of the trans movement and children being thought of as having the, the prescience and maturity to decide whether or not they have their genitals cut off or, or whether they're going to go through puberty or not. And it's increasingly the, the tension between that and, and children not being able to have any kind of consensual sexual relationship with an adult is beginning to, to, to wear thin. And the strength of the LGBTQ movement tells me that, that, that as that wears thin, the burden is going to fall on the children and uh, and and the idea that they can't consent to sex with an adult so that at some point i think that idea is going to be unless unless you know god intervenes and we have a reformation in the country renewal i think at some point this idea that a child cannot consent to sex um cannot cannot consent to being a prostitute even um a sex worker will will go by the wayside. Yeah, it was funny. I saw a, um, a Twitter feed the other day that I thought was a parody, and I'm I'm still sort of hoping it is because it was. You know, I know we talk about this all the time. It was almost directly a page out of 1984. Uh, I'm, I mean, excuse me, Brave New World, because it talked about uh, preschool age children being sexualized, like on purpose by having what they didn't call it erotic play the way that uh, Huxley does in Brave New World, but it was the same exact um, idea was that, you know, four or five, six-year-old kids need to start exploring themselves and exploring each other because it needs to be destigmatized. And it was all a residue of the patriarchy and, you know, sort of, um, you know, all of this sort of buzzwords. And I couldn't believe what I was reading uh, because I said, this is, this is, was, was, you know, this was prophesied, you know, 50 years right. ago or whenever the book was written. And what's interesting, it was prophesied because they knew the playbook. Like, this is nothing new. Like this, if you actually read, that's why Mary Harrington's so great. If you read the actual sort of radical gender theorist, they've been telling us openly for decades, this is what we're hoping to do. This is what, this is what we're trying to break down. These are the stigmas we're trying to uh, change and the taboos we're trying to eradicate. And so it's, I don't think you're, it certainly does. It's not a, it's not a tinfoil hat conspiracy, Matt, to think that this is the very, the very least the end for some, I wouldn't want to say all, but for some of the uh, progressive advocates in this current discussion, um, that is the end game. And of course you look at, you look at uh, Foucault, you look at, um, uh, um, well, he's the one that comes to mind most, most readily, uh, but these people have written about and talk about desires for prepubescent yes. um, intimate relations uh, all across the board. And that just gets sort of a pass because they were supposedly great intellectuals, um, but really it's all, uh, it's all a facade. And so I think this is what, thankfully, maybe this movie is just one 
indication that that kind of normal people are not going to put up with um or at least or at least going to respond positively to being made aware of what is actually going on in the darker corners of, of the world amen well you guys it seems like we're not done talking about the episcopal church yet <laughs> just this week in fact i had the pastor of a local church in a different denomination call me about several people in his church who are considering leaving it to join an episcopal church he wanted to know rightly in my opinion if he needed to warn his sheep, those sheep currently under his care, away from the Episcopal Church and how strongly to do so. And this on the heels of the article we talked about a few weeks ago describing how ACNA and TEC seminarians seem to be getting along so famously these days. Uh, this week, we're going to look at another salvo in this war of words, this time a piece published in Covenant, the blog of the Living Church Foundation, called Theses on the North American Anglican Schism. It was written by the Reverend Dr. Cole Harton of Christ Episcopal Church in Tyler, Texas. He's got five of these theses basically arguing that the Episcopal Church and the ACNA have just got to get back together. So let's go through these theses one by one. I'm sure that we'll have plenty of ground to cover. So first Do one we have is money a- for the Taylor Swift song. Can we put that in here right now? <laughs> <We're> never, <laughs> we probably can't afford that, but that would be uh, that would be. Yeah. And, and that'll be after After Effects. Thesis number one is sort of a nice overarching summary statement. So I think it's a, a nice way to start. Both TEC and ACNA, he says, are diminished churches because of the schism. Respond. <laughs> he goes on to say that we're diminished because we're both to blame mm-hmm. um, for it. And his argument is that on the one hand, uh, TC, you know, pandered to the, he says, pandered to the worst of liberalism for decades, and this came to a head with an abandonment of Christian sexual ethics in favor of the values of, of Hollywood. So he blames the Episcopal Church for the embrace of the LGBTQ movement without any kind of uh, breaks applied. And so, and so he all, but then he goes on to say that the ACNA is at fault because in an effort to preserve pure Christian teaching, he says, uh, we've left many queer Christians out in the cold. Moreover, the rigorous separation from swaths of siblings, the wheat and tares together, is just as reprehensible as the values from which they turn to flee. So, uh, so the split is has, has diminished both churches because it's involved, it seems like in his mind, both churches embracing sub-Christian ideas, uh, non-gospel ideas. Because so, the, so, the, so the, but the predicate, the, the the basis of his of everything he writes here is this idea that there's been a schism. Uh, if you, I know, if you're like, if you're theologically hoity-toity, it's a schism. But I'm going to say schism. <laughs> there's been a there's been a there's been, there's been a schism between TC and the ACNA. And I guess in a, in a functional term, if you if all you mean by that there's been a split, yes. But if you mean an actual schism in a theological sense, that that there's been a break from that the church has, has broken in half. Uh, no, no. The, what happened was when the Episcopal Church embraced a heresy, she apostatized. So she was she's no longer part of the church. The ACNA, in leaving the apostate church, did not in any way schism, schism, whatever you want to call it. We didn't we didn't do either one of those things. <laughs> we remained uh, we were we remained in the church that was founded by by Christ on His Word. And we didn't leave anything. Uh, and, and that's it, the, the failure of those 
Orthodox people in the Episcopal Church who refused, who didn't leave, to see that main point is what was what drives the their confusion all along when it, when it, when they talk about reconciliation. They don't understand that they're in an apostate church, and there can be no healing or reconciliation or getting, coming back together. We'll probably get to this later until that church repents. And it was it was absolutely biblically necessary for us to be rigorous in in, in in preserving the teaching about human sexuality because deviation from that is not just an abandonment of Christian sexual ethics. It's an abandonment of Christ. You, you've, you've departed from the gospel. We've been for, and if you want to go back, if you're listening to one of our listeners, you know why this is. Go back and listen to every episode on this topic <laughs> yeah. we, we recorded for the last the, Every year other episode, years, at You'll see this is not, we have argued over and over again, this is an essential issue. This is not a, it's not an audi- audiophora. So, so we had no 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 choice but to leave that um, that apostate body. Yeah, he makes he makes the equivalency. He says that that it is just that that suppose that ACNAs in the effort to preserve pure Christian teaching is just as reprehensible as the values from which they are trying to flee. Like that's just a joke. That's no one believes that. Like or at least if you believe that, well then of course you can serve in both the Church of Canada and the Episcopal Church, because you can make this this false moral equivalency, which um, no one in their right mind, except the people who are trying to equivocate on these issues, has or would actually say that the desire for orthodoxy, even if even if misapplied and maybe overhanded, you know, heavy handed at times, um, is somehow um, just as reprehensible in its, um, you know, possible uh, overreach at times as the clear abandonment of of Christian sexual morality that, that has been a, a, a um, hallmark of the covenant people of God for thousands of years. You know, that's like no no serious person actually believes that except for those writing to pander to, um, to, to their audience, which is what this whole article is. This seems also to be a wild misinterpretation of the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 about the wheat and the tares. Um, he refers to these swaths of siblings, the wheat and the tares together. Um, Jesus does us a favor by interpreting this parable for us himself, and he calls the tares the children of the devil. These are not siblings. <laughs> this is an, an abuse of scripture here. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and Jesus' point is, you know, you, we're not we're not going to go on some kind of bloody crusade to to right. bring the judgment forward now in time. God will do that, but he he never meant that Christians are supposed to uh, clearly. If you've read any any other any of the rest of the New Testament or the Old Testament, that believers are supposed to wink at or close their eyes to false teaching because, hey, let's not. Let's not separate the wheat from the tares. That's he doesn't again. call the tares just another flavor of wheat. <laughs> right, right, right. That's right. Right, That's right. Yeah, it's, but this is this is typical though. This is this is kind of a half half read, half application of scripture that you can probably get away with in the Church of Canada, which is where this guy's from. He's he's in the Church of Canada. He's now in the Episcopal Church. You can get away with this kind of thing in the Episcopal Church and the Church of Canada because no one knows. I mean, they maybe they maybe read they they maybe heard the church this the parable of the tares. Once every three years, when it comes by in the in the Sunday lectionary, if they're in church that day, so they probably not heard. They probably heard two one one sermon on it, which they were half listening to, and maybe it was all about politics anyway. So you could this is a kind of half application of scripture that Episcopal priests can get away with because they know their people don't know uh, don't know any better, 
Um, so you always want to do this. If you're if you're listening to an Episcopal priest making a weird sounding argument, go back and check the the, the, the biblical text that he's referencing, um, and you're going to find that it's just wildly <laughs> wildly misapplied nine out of ten of the times. Well, let's go to thesis two. Uh, the only genuinely Christian teleology, he says, that's the end of things, for the two churches is reconciliation and reunification. What do we think of this? Yeah, again, I mean, no, if, I mean if, that's if, a joke. If if we were uh, so he but he the, the text that he uses for this is I I'll read it what he says. I understand that this may not be on the horizon of many of our minds, but keeping in view Jesus's prayer for unity in John 17 and the reality that separation from individual sisters and brothers in Christ is purgative. So their souls may be saved the day of the Lord. This means that reunification in Christ ought to be for the goal of the, for the goal to the goal of the ACNTC. So the first hand, he goes to John 17. He's not the only person who does this, but this is another typical Episcopal priest, a typical kind of mainline application of Jesus's high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And the idea is, hey, look at all these denominations, look at all these splits we have, look at all these visible, you know, these churches are just, you know, people are fighting, and yet Jesus prayed that we all might be one. So look, let's let's make Jesus's prayer come true by all being one. We don't make Jesus's prayer become true. That's, that's not our, that we don't have, we, when Jesus prays something to his father, his father says yes. It's a, so. So the union of the church is a given. It's something that is. It, it, it undergirds reality. We are one because Jesus made us one. We are in His body and we're joined by His Spirit. His prayer there is about the, the sending and the coming of the Holy Spirit, which will unite all believers um, in Him as one body in a spiritual sense. He wasn't talking about whether there's going to be different denominations or how that's just a separate, okay. a strange application of that text. Um, the second text he apply he, he goes after is the well, various texts to talk about church discipline, where you cast the sinning brother out who won't repent, and um, and the ultimate aim is for reconciliation. Okay, well, um, on, in that case, he's right, absolutely. When you send someone who will not repent out from the, the assembly, the hope is that if that person is a genuine believer, that that will be so painful and so miserable for that person. He'll come back to the church. He'll come back and say, I'm sorry, I've, I've sinned. Please forgive me. And then you can welcome him back and reconcile, and reconcile him. So if if what this writer means, is, what Coles, I think his last name, if what he means is that the Episcopal Church will get down on its knees and confess that it has sinned and let untold numbers of people to hell by their teaching, and they they repent for that, then yes, we can have reconciliation. Yeah, he hopes for a scheme. He hopes for some kind (laughs) of scheme for reintegration. That's the scheme right there. Yeah, that's right. Well, and and the idea that somehow the the idea, I mean, I think the, the problem is there seems to be this persistent, and of course we resemble this remark to a certain degree in this generation, this persistent idea that we are we are the most closely connected to our former Episcopalian, uh, quote unquote, brothers and sisters as as Anglicans. And that's just not that's just not the truth. Like, if anything, what this schism, schism, whatever has has uh, revealed is that we have been and now it's been formalized closer to our Orthodox Baptist Presbyterians, um, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever denomination you want 
uh, brothers and sisters than we have ever been with the upper leadership and increasingly the the, the middle and, and laity of the Episcopal Church. And so if there's going to be reconciliation, it's much more likely for there to be some sort of like Orthodox Methodist come back into a uh, united global biblical Orthodox Church of Christ or something than it is for the ACNA and the Episcopal Church to get together. Because we have actually, um, you know, particularly after Kigali, but even before then, um, said that we are no longer walking together. Like we are we are with First John, as you often point out, Matt, there, there's a different gospel being proclaimed. And, you know, that's not a that's not something you say with 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 great gusto or or self-righteous sort of triumphalism. Uh, but through tears, we say this is this is we are now no longer um, united. And we are, in fact, in disunity. Uh, but that's because we have we have acknowledged that there has been a a, um, a fundamental uh, rejection of Christian orthodoxy that prohibits us from from worshiping together. We're not in communion. Like we do not acknowledge this, and so we are in in many ways still in unity with all these other denominations that we have all sorts of disagreements with. You know, but they're behind this great. A wonderful wall of sort of Christian orthodoxy that gives us the freedom to have these these loving, you know, intra um, sibling disagreements about baptism and communion and the you know the presence of Christ in various places and all the things that are very interesting and important, but aren't the first primary level of of disunity, which has been the mark and the reason for the existence of the ACNA at all. And so I don't know what he's you know, I don't know. I mean, he seems to think that the, the the people that we feel the most alienated from are or are our um, former Episcopalian, you know, colleagues who, you know, we're just sort of pining for. And I think that's just a misunderstanding of what is actually taking place, because the reality of it is, is that we have finally been freed from um, the duplicity and the like soul destroying complicity of this um, non-gospel lie that was perpetuated under the banner of a quote-unquote church, and now we get to um, lovingly embrace all sorts of different denominations and people. You know, we've had Baptists on here, Presbyterians on here, you know, that's fine, who we lovingly call brother and sister in Christ because of our shared commitment to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Thesis three is that time is of the essence. Now, he says that the longer we wait to get back together, the harder getting back together will be. And he admits that this is a purely pragmatic thing that both churches, he says, are shrinking. And it's gonna, it's gonna have to, we're gonna have to join up or we're, or we're gonna both die. Yeah, when I read that part, I had to go back up and read the byline to, to see the date. And it, it actually was written July, it was published in July, July 18th in 2023. But I don't think he's read the recent numbers, or at least he's he's going off maybe last year's numbers. I, I don't I don't know what he's going off of because TEC has definitely continued its precipitous decline. I mean, it's, it's it, it is not recovered from COVID. You know, they, they're, most churches that are healthy have kind of bounced back after COVID and gotten at least, if not back to where they were, at least you know coming close to it. TEC that hasn't happened. They they their their attendance is in steep death spiral decline as usual. This is a dead body, so of course. But with the ACNA is actually we've rebounded. I mean, we're not not every diocese, but but in overall general numbers, the attendance is back almost to the point where it was, if not over the point where it was uh, pre-COVID. I forgot where I read this. This is um, Jeff Walton put this out. Yeah, it was just about a couple of, a, a week ago. So I don't think we're really in bad shape. 
Maybe he I just means that we're yeah, significantly we're... smaller in raw numbers. We are a very small pool. Well, that's of for sure. Oh, because of the split, they've we've lost. We've lost. Maybe like, that's what he's referring to. Oh, <laughs> I mean that's all I can think of because we're we're actually doing fine. You know, once 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 you cut off a gangrenous limb, the rest of the body tends to be fine. If you keep the gangrenous limb on the body, you're gonna you're, you're gonna die. So we're actually doing pretty good. I mean, we have lost a member. A leg, maybe, maybe two legs. Let's just say two legs. We lost two legs. <laughs> um, that's fine. So those are very important parts of the body, but they're you can't reattach them because they're gangrenous. And if we do, we're going to die. So we're actually doing, we're thriving, we're flourishing now in a way that we wouldn't flourish if we ever reconciled to an unrepentant TEC. Um, so yeah, time is of the essence for them because they don't have much, but time. They're like, well, I think most estimates are now 30 years off. They're going to, they're no longer going to be a church or, or I'm sorry, they're not a church anymore, but there's no, they're no longer going to be an organization existing in, in 30 years if it continues in the current trajectory. Whereas we, we have an upward swing right now. So we're, we're doing fine. Uh, thanks anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that brings us to um, thesis number four, which to me, I think this is my favorite one. Um, this is so funny. He says that we have all the time in the world. He must point out that God does God's work in God's time. It took Lutherans and Roman Catholics almost 500 years to converge on the doctrine of justification, parentheses, which they have not done. That's um, right. That's right. When you league eight us back on this, we can talk about that. He for, says uh, that it will take maybe that long again for our two Anglican provinces to converge. And he says... The old saw that, I, that we've been hearing yeah, a lot there's the chestnut about coming the, out right here. We're going to need the retirement of the Matt Kennedys of the world um, <laughs> to make this happen. The fact that he thinks that the Lutherans and Roman Catholics have definitively reconciled over the doctrine of justification is, you know, I guess that's that's just indicative of the theological depth of the teaching in the Church of Canada, at least on the issue of justification. But despite that, I think that the the line that stuck out to me, uh, which of course made me think of, of you, Matt, because you're the wizened old um, old curmudgeon of the group, is, uh, is that the retirement of the shell-shocked leaders, because of course we know they want cooler heads who can, you know, get along and sort of see that you know give peace a chance sort of thing once once those people get in charge well then all of this infighting and sort of unpleasantness will have been seen as a as a real um just unfortunate historical anomaly right i mean that's 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 the narrative i mean i think in part we aren't talking about this now but i think that's in part the mo for the church of england with respect to its living love and faith continuing to uh to sort of push it down the line hoping that you know with every successive month that somebody retires and some new clergy person comes up and, um, you know, has a kinder general outlook on all these things. And, you know, I think it's just, it's just, again, it just shows a real misunderstanding of the depth of conviction, the actual stakes of the matter and the level of um, the, the galvanization of the people in the ACNA by and large. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I mean, at least the people that I know that have been through the um, sort of soul searching as to whether or not this was worth it and have counted the cost and have faced the lawsuits and have lost the buildings and have done all the things. And they said, you know, we have not only have we crossed this divide, we burned our we burned the bridges and the boats. I mean, there is no going back. So whatever the Lord has in store for the future of Anglicanism in North America, like he may have plans for that not to exist at all in 100 years, much less 
I mean, that's, and that would, I mean, that's not the, that's not his church. I mean, we're a part of it now and we're going to do what we can and serve him as faithfully as we can. But we never, he never promised that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the Anglican church in North America. I mean, but he did promise that the gates of hell wouldn't, wouldn't prevail against his church faithful to his word and to his promise. And so when a church denies that and rejects that, well, then of course the gates of hell will prevail. But so I don't, you know, maybe, maybe there won't be an Anglican church in 500 years and it will be the United Biblical Church of Confessing Christians or something, you know, and I hope my kids, my great, great, great grandchildren are part of that as opposed to some sort of, you know, 16th century historical reenactment society, uh, which is what a lot of Anglicanism um, around the world turns out to be. And so, yeah, I just think when I read this article, I was like, I bet this is a guy who has like a rose colored vision or, or sort of idea of, of liturgy and, you know, thinks that, um, you know, truth and unity are um, that, you know, truth, truth needs to be subsumed, uh, subsumed under uh, this idea of unity. And that why can't we all get along? And and it just was sort of fit a stereotype that um, it sadly is is part of our ACNA uh, water, which we've talked about, but thankfully is not the major uh, component. And I'm not surprised that someone who's trying to uh, claim to be Orthodox within the Episcopal Church or the Church of Canada is saying and writing things like this. That line, you know, wait till the old folks die off, wait till the, wait till the warrior, <laughs> where the war, the war generation dies off, then we can have, then we have some fun. Um, it, it seems that, it's, it's, is there something like talking point memo that's going out to these to people? To, to say this, it's, it reminds me of the, uh, during the, the, okay, I'm dating myself again, but during the, the bush Kerry presidential campaign, the word gravitas was like everywhere. Like everywhere you looked, one one candidate here has much gravitas. And they were talking about, you know, the, the candidate, Democratic candidate Kerry. Uh, gravitas was just mentioned every time you saw his face on the screen. So you'd associate that with him, right? That's what talking points do is they just, they just try and pose in someone's mind this idea without having to make an argument about about any kind of policy it's also similar to the um to the to the term homophobic or transphobic that the use of that term those terms that's a, an end run around an argument you can say the, the people who use those terms say well if you're against you know gay marriage that's because you have some kind of phobia you're you have some kind of fear it's an emotional reaction there's no real there's no logical cohesion to your argument. You're just reacting. Um, and so just stop reacting and think, and then you'll, of course, agree with us. You don't have to make an argument that way. You can just uh, you can just portray your opponents as irrational, acting completely on their on the on the basis of their emotions. And that's what this does. You know, we're we're shell-shocked, right? We're like this, we're we're all we're just coming back from losing Batan and we're on the death march and our and our and sweat's dripping from our brows and our we have a million yard yard stare and we can't think about anything else but getting revenge. No, that's uh, that's not an argument. That's a that's a portrayal. That's a that's a that's a rhetorical device um, to get around an argument, and it's being used increasingly. So watch out for that kind of thing when you see it. Not just with regard to this, but but any other kind of uh, debate. That's they're just trying to uh, play on on your uh, on your emotions. Yeah. It's also worth saying that it's not even a fair historical characterization of the thing. I mean, as far as I can remember, the shells were only being fired in one direction. You know, it's not right. like a lot of people who are now in the ACNA were changing the locks on their church doors so their bishops couldn't get in. That was right. only happening to them. I'm not, I'm not sure that Catherine Jefferson Shorey 
deserves to think of herself as shell shocked in any way. You know, she was the one <laughs> lobbing the bombs. <laughs> yeah, there there wasn't. I, I think I, there were so many lawsuits filed against uh, our churches, um, and I can think of maybe two or three where the, the lawsuits were initiated and in going the other direction. And those were those were preemptive, but they were defensive in nature. So I, it's just, it's just yeah, it, it, that's a bad way of even thinking about what happened. It wasn't just these two sides can't get along, and so they went to the law against each other. No, no, well, <laughs> nobody on our side wanted to go to law. We were well, just, and I think it's also another another uh, you know mischaracterization. Like I don't consider myself shell shocked. Like, if anything, I think that I was saved. I was rescued. The shell yeah. shocking took place in the 12, I was just talking to Liza about this the other day, the 12 years of having to hold my tongue or to smile when I didn't, you know, to sort of politely smile or to um, sort of evade or be a little vague when I wanted to be more clear. Mm. Like, that was soul destroying. Yeah. Like, that was, so the shell shocking has not been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm not in the Episcopal Church. I'm so hurt and wounded. It's like, thank God. I was delivered. You know, thank Shows God I was finally stopped further. falling. That's right. I feel like the um, you what is it? And um, uh, I forget which Lord of the Rings you would know, Matt. You know, where the guy, the king's being uh, poisoned by the um, by the uh, worm tongue guy. Theoden. Yeah, yeah, Theoden. Like that. I felt like the. I think that's like that's how I describe my life. Where for twelve years of ordained ministry, but but almost what sixteen years of of life and marriage with Liza. Like that was or around that that's what i felt like and so you know you maybe there are shell shock people and i know the people that oh, well, like you mad who lost their building and went through some terrible times and things like i don't want to minimize any of that but goodness gracious like that is not how i would describe myself and if anything yeah. you know maybe the shell shock people are the ones who are like gosh i can't believe that i've abandoned you know they're in the episcopal church still that i've abandoned the faith once delivered that i have um, baptizing and marrying people in direct contrary to God's word written, and I am in danger of not even believing anymore, and yet I'm a bishop. Like, maybe those people are shell-shocked, but I certainly am not. I don't know of any successful church that left the Episcopal Church that's successful, and by that being, you know, survived, and is is healthy, basically, today. They didn't have to say, the leaders didn't have to say to themselves and to the people, look, we, if we're going to go on and just be the church that's not the Episcopal Church, we're going to die. If we're just going to be the, those who are against the, the Episcopal Church, right. we're not going to. We have to forgive them, not 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 by not recon reconcile until they repent. We have to forgive what happened to us, and not even think about any kind of retribution, and go forward looking to preach the gospel. And and to and 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 what happened in my congregation, I think this is not I'm not unique. Is is my people became much more clear about what the gospel is and why it's important. Um, and and much more willing. I mean, I think I think if something like that similar, similar to that happened today, they'd be willing to give up, give up their building again. They know they know now the value of Christ and the gospel, and how it supersedes yeah. anything that um, that they would have retained had we still been in that old building. Amen. Yeah. But guys, guess what? This reunification is already happening anyway. Uh, <laughs> Matt doesn't thesis, care about that at all, though. <laughs> thesis number five, reconciliation is already happening at grassroots, and this ought to be recognized and celebrated. So even though you curmudgeons haven't retired yet, we're we're really already doing this. This is already happening, so get on board.
All right. So what, what's happening, I think, from his perspective, he's 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 in his first paragraph, he mentioned he's moving from the Anglican Church of Canada to the Episcopal Diocese of Texas, um, which I was once part of. I came out of the diocese uh, and it's it has been traditionally one of the more conservative dioceses. It's not right now. It's got a bishop who's who's heterodox, but uh, it has historically been a conservative diocese. So probably what he's seeing is that churches that left the Episcopal Diocese of Texas and became ACNA um, and those conservative churches that remained and are still kind of in battle, but are remaining in the Diocese of Texas. Yeah, you're going to have some people who are who are who share the same gospel in the same opposition to the LGBT stuff, getting together and praying and, and cooperating. I think that's probably the majority of what he's seeing there. And, and what that is, is it's not the two churches coming together. It's. Orthodox members of the of the Episcopal Church and Orthodox members of the ACNA Church coming together as Christians bound together by the, the same gospel, and and no one's opposed to that. I'm not opposed to um, to individual ACNA people and individual ACNA churches coming together with Orthodox Episcopalians and doing whatever. Fine, that's not the but that's that's a very different question than the than the than than the two entities of the AC, the ACNA and the Episcopal Church coming together because the Episcopal Church still officially and and increasingly this is being seen even in the Diocese of Texas is promoting this false teaching that's leading people to hell so um so I think he's he's taking kind of a natural uh, sort of relationship that Christians are going to have with one another across denominational lines and he's trying to make that into a foundation setting stage for this new reunification that he's he thinks we should all work towards. He does also uh, refer and link to that Living Church article about the Duke and Neshota House seminarians. So he's, I think, wanting to call some attention to what he what he calls perhaps even communion across differences. So I think he would want to suggest that there are even some liberal Episcopalians who are doing things, I, what does he say, pray together, serve together, perhaps even share in the Eucharist together. He says those, those things reserve, deserve some recognition. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I, I mean, I, like I said, I've, I've said a lot of I'm from. I came out of the diocese of Texas. I have a lot of people I know in the diocese of Texas. The Orthodox people there, I I don't see them hanging out with the pro LGBTQ people like that. They showed a Duke circumstance. Maybe it's happening. I'd be surprised if it is. Um, I think more than likely he's seeing again Orthodox people on both sides getting together and praying together, etc. And now he's linking it with what he read in the. The Living Church article about Neshota and, and Duke. But hey, if somebody, if one of our listeners knows different, if you know, in fact, hey, if you know of an ACNA church that is actively communing pro LGBTQ clergy or or people who are in LGBTQ relationships, yeah, uh, drop us a line at uh, the, the, the <laughs> mailbag. We'll be happy to, to uh, investigate that and bring that into the light. I would love to know about that. Any final thoughts on this article or the idea of TEC ACNA reunification as we wrap up this show? Well, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, but I mean, suffice it to say, I think that this guy's uh, perspective, you know, is as hopeful as it may be from his, you know, from his position or vantage point, it still just, just, you know, exposes the real misunderstanding at the heart of the reason why the ACNA was founded 
um, the convictions behind the people that are part of it, uh, the significance of the Jerusalem Declaration, the worldwide global sort of um, galvanization that we've just witnessed in the Kigali, and you can just go on down the line. And, you know, that it seems kind of, we've talked about this before, uh, sudden and shocking to some is simply because of age and ignorance and experience, because what is actually the case is that this has been a um, decades, if not centuries, um, sort of uh, in, in the making, or at least a century in the making, of a split that we have the the honor and privilege of walking through, as as strange as that may seem, because we are in the generation of the Lord's pruning and resetting and replanting. And that's what's happened in the ACNA. And, you know, we have, have, you know, our people of unclean lips with unclean hands and all the things and can repent where necessary, but can also be grateful that his you know, merciful hand of, of discipline was not final. And he has um, raised up a whole uh, church to sort of witness um, and repent and confess in an entirely different way than Anglicanism, as it has come to be in the North American context, had done for, for generations. And for that, um, there is no turning back. And there's no there's no sort of reconciliation because it's not so much a reconciliation as it is a right. a um, resurrection, really. He, I mean, he's really not hearing he's not hearing our protest. He's got his fingers in his ears. He the Episcopal Church writ large is saying that we in the ACNA are homophobic Christians. We in the ACNA are saying that the Episcopal Church writ large is not Christian at all. Yeah. Right, right, and I think he, I think you're right, on about. That JD, I, I don't think he knows what time it is. Uh, it's it's you know, he's he's not read the newspapers or I know that, I'm sorry, David, sorry, he's not read the <laughs> internet. Um, George Bush, John Kerry, and newspapers. <laughs> Goodness gracious! Yeah. <laughs> There's this thing called okay. Gafcon. He hasn't yeah. rewound his VHS tape yet. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's this thing called Gafcon, and I I don't either he's not heard of it or he's just completely discounted it, but it's a a, a massive worldwide movement of Anglicans away from Canterbury, and the Canterbury Communion because of the actions of the Episcopal Church. Our bishop signed on to the commitment of Kigali commitment. How how could he think that it would be even remotely in our minds? to reunify with the Episcopal Church apart from their repentance. I, it, 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 it's just not going to happen. And Bishop Benna, one of our bishops of the Diocese of Living Word, he's retired now, but he read it, this article, and he said, this guy's just woefully misinformed. He, he doesn't understand the thinking of our bishops and the thinking of our church. Uh, right. He's maybe talking to a few people who are who are on the ground with him, but, but that's he doesn't understand the times. And the times now are about the restoration of Orthodox Anglicanism. Amen. Well, that's going to be all the time that we have today. Thanks for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, can be in touch with us. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to J.D. Koch and to Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,